Welcome back. This is Robert Fleming from the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. I'm here with my law partner and my partner in these elder law issues podcasts, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. Elizabeth, welcome back. Thank you, Robert. Uh, we're going to talk today about an issue that is a little bit hard for some elderly folks, not including, for instance, me, to wrap their, their brains around, and that is cybersecurity and the importance of taking uh, appropriate precautions. And and this, uh, this topic is of interest to us this week because we had an event at our office that made us think, oh, we should talk about the fact that we had an event, that we contained it, and that this is a problem facing a lot of people. So uh, with that kind of buildup, do you want to describe the event in question? <laughs> I wish to never relive that Wednesday morning of this week, Robert. I woke up and I had a couple of text messages and people said, check your email. And you know what, Robert? I was hacked. You know, most people, when they when they say they've been hacked, what that usually means is they have clicked on an attachment, opened the attachment, and then they immediately are horrified at the outcome. And, and that isn't what happened. No. So what ended up happening, Robert, is I got a bug of some sort. I am not the techie genius that I wish I was. Uh, but you know what? All of a sudden, I had more than 200 emails go out from my Fleming and Curdy account to clients and colleagues and friends. And they were all very specific emails. All you know, the text in the email was spelled correctly. There was nothing unfamiliar about the email that people were receiving. But I didn't send it. And it was taking a bug with it. So whoever was opening it um, got a I think not a surprise at the moment, but we have encouraged people to do virus scans and whoever got those emails, let our office know if they want some help clearing things up. So if somebody who is on your email list received that message or someone who has never gotten an email from us, never had any email correspondence with us, gets a similar message from someone else, how do they know that it's, that it's a, a, a scam of some kind? Well, in this case, Robert, it was really hard to tell because it was in a personal email that was a response to a previous email I'd had with that sender and that correspondent. And what I would tell folks is if you're not expecting an email and all of a sudden you get an email from somebody, whether it's a professional colleague or a family member, and there is an attachment, in this particular case, there was both an attachment and a password to open the attachment. I think that's a good time for your yellow, orange, red flag to go up and say, well, this is a little peculiar. And in my case, um, a lot of people spotted it. Many, many people have a Windows antivirus software, which spotted the email off the bat, so they didn't even open it. But it's hard to identify these things. And I think, Robert, that's part of the point of our conversation to people uh, today, that it you know, you have people who are unsuspecting and they're opening it, but you might be very sophisticated in still opening this kind of an email. You know, you you sort of blew past the one thing that I think was a red flag in the on the face of this email, and that is, here's an attachment, the password is, and then a password. Nobody who was paying attention to their cybersecurity would send a document as an attachment and the password in the same email. 
because what's the point of, of having a password if it goes out with the with the attachment? So that was the one place where I thought that that your hacker uh, kind of fell down. Otherwise, I agree. It was a pretty convincing looking uh, message. I might have been quicker to recognize it than most because I got three different ones from you with the same information mm -hmm. because I have three different email addresses that I correspond you, with you. Uh, but a lot of people noticed it. Did did, uh, did anybody have any disaster as a, as a result, as far as we know? No, because people were really quick to respond and say, gosh, was this from you? And I had an auto reply on my email for a couple of days. And so the main message is, if you did get this email from me, first of all, it was unintentional. I'm sorry for the hassle. You need to run a virus scan. And for the folks who've run a virus scan, they've been able to pick up pretty quickly whether or not there's anything unfamiliar on their computer. The other thing, Robert, is it's really a good idea to be changing your password to your email on a regular basis. And in my case, back in 2018, our systems administrator told me about a two-factor authentication for my email. And I've been using that now for close to three years. If you're listening today and you don't actually have a two-factor authentication on your email, it's a good idea to put on. And so for the folks that did open up my email and, and may have tried to download something, after running the virus scan, it's a good idea to change your email password. But, you know, Robert, going back to one of the first things that you said, we're incredibly fortunate to have a great IT team here. And so our server and everything internal in our business is fine. Nothing actually came into the practice or bugged the practice. Our staff were really quickly alerted, so they weren't downloading anything. But it was a pretty startling event because we think that it happened through my iPhone. The IP address for um, the event actually was in my home. And I would just tell everybody listening, do your best to have a good virus scan and, and have a regular update to your computer software. Keep your eyes on your passwords and make sure that you change them on a regular basis. But keep in mind, it's not just your desktop computer. It could be your iPad or your iPhone or your Android um, tablet that actually is what picks up the virus and, and lets whoever is hacking hack into your software. So our client, let's try to bring this to the use, usefulness for our clients, the people who are dealing with, uh, with not as much um, intense business work as we're doing, but whose lives are largely on their phones or, or their desktop computers. What do they need to do? They need to change their passwords on a regular basis. They need to use two-factor two authentication. How in the world can you come up with 57 different passwords once every 30 days in order to regularly change your password for everything from Pizza Hut deliveries to access to your bank account? Good question, Robert. Well, you and I both like a software known as LastPass. It's a, um, a business that can help generate passwords and store passwords, one of the things that I would recommend to people is if you are one of those folks, um, many, many people who I know and love keep their passwords on a little uh, three ring notebook or binder by their computer. If you're somebody who's writing down all of your passwords and updating it as you update a password in, in your written notebook, I don't think that's the most secure way to do it, Robert. I actually think that using a more advanced software a company like LastPass that will update the passwords as you go, help you change them. And I couldn't tell you now what my email password is. 
All I know is that it's stored through a secure file on LastPass. And I think that that actually limits the ability I have to harm myself <laughs> using the same password for 20 different things. But LastPass, of course, is not the only choice, but it's the one that you and I both use, uh, both in our personal and our professional lives. And uh, and it has worked pretty well for that. It, it has pretty high levels of security, but that's that's true of most of the password managers out there. Um, and, and it is absolutely the way to make sure that you don't use the same clunky password over and over. It's also a real good tip for our clients uh, who we have said for years, well, keep somehow keep track of your passwords, but please don't write them in a notebook. Don't put them in, a, in an unencrypted file on your computer for your personal representative or your agent to find later if they need to. Uh, and please, please, please don't send them to somebody to, to keep them for you. Uh, and if you did have a list that was written down somewhere or in a, a file on your computer, well, you need to be changing those passwords every 60 days, 90 days, something like that, and your file will immediately be out of date. So you need a password manager in order to protect against the kinds of problems that you experience. And Robert, although I'm 37 and healthy, you are my first contact for my password manager, actually. If all of a sudden somebody um, contacted LastPass and said that I died or there had been some catastrophic event, um, you're actually the person, I don't know if I've told you this yet, but you're the person who's got all my passwords. It's a terrific utility with um, these password managers where you can actually put one or more people who can have access in, in the course of an emergency to your password. So... I think that's one of the handy things for our folks who are thinking about their agent nom nominated under their durable financial power of attorney. That actually, if you put that person on your password manager, they, they could get the message or they could access the passwords um, electronically. They don't need to have the notebook. So here are the takeaways. Use good passwords, change them often. Use two-factor authentication to help it make it easier to use passwords consider setting up a password manager. And if you do all that, you can still be hacked. So be vigilant about uh, cybersecurity and, 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 and alert to the possibility that something bad could happen on your cell phone or your desktop computer or your notebook computer uh, when you least expect it. Like on a Wednesday morning at six o'clock in the morning while you're rubbing sleep out of your eyes and, and all of your friends and associates are getting um, getting phishing emails from you. And if you're somebody who did get a phishing email and called our office or called my cell phone or sent me a text, thank you so much. I appreciate all those folks that have reached out this week to make sure that we know what was going on and who've reached out to get some assistance. If you're somebody who did get this terrible email for, from me, I'm, I'm horribly apologetic. I just, I'm still kind of dealing with the shell shock of all of those emails in one day. But let us know. We have a wonderful systems administrator here who can help walk you through a virus scan and, and get you back to stage one. We really appreciate, though, that people let us know right away, Robert. So it made me feel very loved. <laughs> well, and I guess the last thing maybe I'll say on a personal note is if you talked to Elizabeth in the last week, and she was a little snippy with you. She's feeling a lot better now. I yeah. am. I am. I'm not so tearful. Wednesday was a rough one. 
All right, that's uh, that's our our tip for seniors and the professionals who deal with them for this week's elder law issues. I'm Robert Fleming of the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC, and I've been talking with Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, my partner and recent survivor of an email hacking. Thank you, Elizabeth, and uh, and and be safe out there. <laughs>